Welcome to the Story Talks Back. Almost everything that we remember, think about, or imagine is a story. Stories entertain us, inform us, and even define us. They have upsides, and they have downsides. This podcast explores the power of story in every aspect of our lives. I'm Dave Stanton. Thank you for joining us. In a career spanning four decades, Michael Horton acted in some of TV Land's most celebrated series, including Murder, She Wrote, MASH, Taxi, Hill Street Blues, L.A. Law, E.R., Star Trek First Contact, 21 Jump Street, and over 100 other shows. He also gave voice to characters in numerous animated series, including The Incredible Hulk, The Transformers, and G.I. Joe, and appeared in over 2,000 TV and radio commercials. On stage, Horton has appeared in several of Shakespeare's plays at the famed Old Globe Theater in San Diego, the Oregon Shakespeare Festival in Ashland, Oregon, the Seattle Rep, and many other theaters. Most recently, he has been co-host of the Digital Production Buzz podcast and is organizer and moderator for the Creative Pro User Group, which brings together thousands of behind-the-scenes Hollywood professionals to share tips and accomplishments. All right, Michael, well, it's great to welcome you to the Story Talks Back. And, and it's good uh, to see you, David. your time. Yeah, well, thank you. You too. It's been um, uh, 40 years or something like that, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Since we met in a in a kind of a funny circumstance, you were yeah. acting in uh, All the Way Home on the USC campus, and I was a journalist uh, covering that uh, for the USC paper. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that was back in the 80s, early 80s or something like that. And uh, right. here we are 40 years later. Holy moly. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I can't really get my head around those kind of numbers. And I, and I find myself saying them a lot. Right. Yeah, you know, 50 years ago, 40 years ago. Things are like, right. gosh, things go so fast. And, uh, and I, do, the- I do remember it like it was yesterday, but uh, it, uh, it was, uh, again, 40 years ago. 40 years ago. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So I, I wanted to start by asking you about, um, you know, this is all about stories and storytelling. And I want to ask you if you remember anyone or anything from your childhood or your formative years that might have pointed you in the direction of stories and storytelling or might have made you more interested in stories? Yeah, that's, that's a, a good question. Um, off the top of my head, it probably was my dad. Um, I'm an army brat, so we lived all over. I was born in Japan. We lived in Germany. We lived in Georgia. We lived uh, you know, all over. All, although my formative years were in Seattle. And uh, my dad was, uh, he was like the kind of an entertainment officer. Um, he ran officers uh-huh. clubs and things like that. And as part of his job, he did a lot of shows and produced a lot of shows, brought in uh, uh, entertainers. And he was also a puppeteer. He had his own, huh. he had his own puppet show and uh, had handcrafted puppets. He had his own puppet stage. And along with my mom, they did puppet shows for children, especially in Germany while I was living there. And so that would have been about, you know, four years or four years old to nine years old or something like that. And, uh, and I remember those distinctly primarily because it, the, you know, especially when you're a young kid watching a puppet, despite the fact that you can see, the people who are actually moving the puppets, you're not focused on them at all. You're still, you're focused on that, that puppet and you're focused on that, that drama that's happening in front of you. And uh, yeah, each show was, is, even though I've saw it probably 10 times are always different depending on the reactions of the, uh, of the audience. And, um, but those were great stories because they were fairy tales. They were the stories, especially they were German stories of, of the German lore. And, mm. uh, um, 
and, and a lot of violence. And <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't so much punch and Judy, but there was a lot of a lot of hitting. And uh, uh, I don't think you can probably get away with some of the stuff that they were doing. But women did get beaten up in most of those those kind of puppet shows or the female characters anyway. But uh, yeah, my 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 dad was a really good puppeteer. Also, could do a lot of voices. And as uh, I gravitated uh, older and older and older, I got into acting. But I don't know if I got into acting primarily because of him, or it was just something that. I could do and that I liked and that uh, 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 I thought I could make a living at or something. But uh, as far as my love of stories, yeah, they probably started with puppeteers, puppets and my dad. Do you remember some other books or authors that you liked as you were? No, as a, as a re- I wasn't a reader at all when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I became okay. a voracious reader when uh, probably in my late teens and then, then on. Um, But, uh, and no, I was, uh, I I, I didn't like school. I didn't have, I didn't have the the ability to concentrate very much. If if they didn't have a name for it, but I would have had ADD uh, back then. There was no way in the world I could sit still. I was always doing something. I was always out doing something. I was always, uh, you know, when we would play, and I mean play, we we would get so into character. I mean, so into character when we when we play war or cowboys and Indians and that sort of thing, whatever character we would choose to play, we would all get so into it. And me, especially it, uh, you, you, you couldn't break character. You were you were committed to that that person until you finally had to go to lunch or something like that. But that was my childhood. And uh much different than the modern childhood today where it's all your parents telling you where to go, what to do and all this other stuff. Then it was go out, be home before dark and uh, do whatever the heck you want to do. And when we played, it was really intense and it was uh, 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 the characters that you developed would, would go from evolve from day to day to day, depending on uh, uh, what was in vogue in a movie that, uh, that uh, you saw my my dad would always say I could tell what movie you guys saw from what you were playing after you got out of the theater whether it would be (laughs) whether it be Cowboys and Indians or whether it be war movies or whether it be uh you know Ivanhoe or something like that and uh um and to to this day I you know I, I regret that my children weren't able to have that kind of experiences like I did and uh especially growing up in the army you you grew up in all these these forts of course, there's a mm. wall around the fort, and there's no way you're going to get lost or anything. It's just so you just go off and and and, and you can go anywhere and do anything. I don't, I don't remember there being a secure zone that you couldn't possibly. And if there was, there was a fence there, so you just didn't you know go over it. But uh, that was my childhood: intense play, intense character acting, and uh, um, but not a lot of books. Did you? Uh... I mean, did you sort of make up your own stories for the movie characters? Sure. Or you... No, yeah. You first of all, you 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 become the character from a movie, and that that's an argument in itself. You want to be the uh, let's let's take an example. Um, my favorite movie at that time in the '60s was *The Great Escape* with Steve McQueen, and they, uh-huh. everybody wouldn't want to be the cooler king. He wanted to be Steve McQueen because he was the coolest guy. And so you'd have to make, you know, everybody would be wanting to be him. And then finally we decide, okay, you can be him. And then you have to decide on the other characters. And so you're playing those characters and and, uh, somebody's got to be the German. Somebody's got to be this kind of thing. And by the time you, uh, you, you, you vote on that, then the story happens and it's partly the movie and it's partly what you improvise and what, and these things can go on for like two to three hours. And, uh, you know, we've got guns and, uh, and, and sticks and things like that. And, 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 and when you would die, they'd be the greatest death scenes ever. <laughs> you know, it just, it was just amazing stuff. And, uh, but each thing would be probably based on a movie. And, uh, um, and most of the movies were war movies or, or cowboys and Indians. And, uh, you know, just based on what you saw that on that matinee, 
And then there would be 45 minutes of arguing who got to play who. <laughs> so, but those were our stories. <laughs> and sometimes our stories were really amazing. I mean, we just, because we just evolved from, from that little premise and that, that, that movie, maybe that one line. And then it'll go on for two, three hours. And we had this brilliant, uh, uh, and, I, and I remember just some of the stuff that was just absolutely extraordinary. It's too bad there wasn't a camera on this. You know, it's a, these, these little kids playing intensely, committedly, these, uh, these, uh, these characters that they developed. Someone else I interviewed actually was made, made movies as a child. He was the director. Yeah. And he got all his friends to be in his movies. And uh, he actually got, uh, you know, some little recognition, a little bit of a fame from doing that. Yeah, my, well, yeah. on him. my dad had an eight millimeter movie camera, but I never did anything with it. And uh, mm-hmm. I really wish I, I could have, because I ended up kind of being the director of, uh, of uh, what we would do. And, but I never was interested in making movies with this camera. I was never interested in photography or, or any of that stuff. But lately, uh, I've been uh, uh, digitizing some of those eight millimeter movies that he made, uh, those home movies, and, uh, which are interesting. <laughs> he didn't take a lot of photographs, but he took a lot of eight millimeter movies. But my, my whole remembrance of the eight millimeter was especially at Christmas morning, he would have these gigantic floodlights <laughs> you just flood the room with lights and then take the and so when you're coming in it's like this <laughs> every christmas it's like this. <laughs> oh my goodness yeah and so i mean maybe that turned me off or something but anyway i didn't have any, any desire to, to do anything with that eight millimeter camera other friends did you know, some of the other guys did. I wonder whatever happened to some of those uh, those movies. But uh, um, you know, he had an editing machine and everything. It was, it's, but uh, it never went. It never went far. But I, I mean, I guess that that's kind of a very democratic type of storytelling because you have to negotiate about yeah who has to die and who gets to win and all that stuff right yeah a lot of that again was improvised you didn't you didn't get that that into it i mean you first of all had to choose the characters and uh you know most people didn't want to be the indians most be, most people wanted to be the good guys not the bad guys which is kind of interesting um i kind of enjoyed being the bad guy but <clears throat> when it comes to something like a great escape thing everybody wants to be the cool guy and uh, the cool guy, of course, was Steve McQueen. Um, right. But if, if we're getting into war, war movies, nobody wanted to be the Nazi. <laughs> they just wanted to be the sure. good, They wanted to be the good guys, but you needed a Nazi. So it's, <laughs> it's like choosing sides for basketball, and there's always the last guy who gets chosen. Well, he's the Nazi. <laughs> so it's, and you just have to accept it. And the next day, things could change. But it was, it was somewhat de- de- uh, uh, democratic. Uh, there was never really any heavy fights about it. You know, it just, it just finally, after 45 minutes of arguing, you just, okay, fine. Da, 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 and go out and, and then get committed. And, uh, but yeah, you've just brought back a whole bunch of fun memories that I haven't thought of in a long time, but uh, boy, those were good. Those were, those were an in, in, intense play. <laughs> so how did you think that that sort of evolved into a career for you i mean how did how did you ultimately become an actor acting out stories um i, I think it i always been somewhat uh, somewhat competitive uh although i was never an athlete and that was one of the reasons i was probably competitive i wanted to be one of the cool kids and the cool kids in high school and uh, junior high school were athletic. And, but I was, you know, I was, I was somewhat good, but I was not anywhere near as good as those guys were. And uh, uh, I, 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 I knew I was never going to be in that, that, that league. They're the ones who are always going to be the popular ones because for whatever reason, that's athletes are popular. And uh, but so I had to do something else in order to possibly get into that whole realm. Now, acting came about with this class in junior high, which was uh, uh, 
it was it like a debate class or something like that where they made you get up in front of the class and and, and do something and i think it was uh uh, it was an improv um, that was uh, given to all of us, and, and they're given us a particular subject, and then you have to get up there and and uh, and improvise on it as a character that you chose. You got about fifteen minutes to come up with it. And so anyway, I came up with something, and I came up with this English guy who had an accent, and I at at the time I could do you know, voices pretty well. At least I thought I could do voices pretty well. I went up and I did something and it went really well. It only lasted about a minute and a half. It went really well and I got laughs. And then not only did I get laughs, after the end of the class, I got, that was really good. That was really good. That was really good. That was really good. That was the first validation of anything I had uh, uh, gotten, in, in a, especially in school situation. I was not real popular. I was more bullied than I was uh, anything, but I got a little validation out of that. And then after that, I did a little bit more of those kinds of things. But as I got into high school, then I got into drama and, uh, and I was good at it. And even though it's, you know, being in drama is not the coolest thing, you know, it's not like being a football player. If you're good, if you're good at it, you know you have a little more respect than uh, than if you were to not even try, or not even be any, be anybody, just be there. And so I was able to be part of that that group. And uh, wasn't that I loved acting or anything like that? It uh, <clears throat> I just got a, re- a lot of respect for it. And, uh, you know, nobody put me down for it. They, they teased me a little bit, but not, not big time, you know, cause I was, I was fairly good at what I did. So, um, so that got me going. And, but even at the end of high school, it wasn't what I wanted to do with, with my career. I didn't really have an idea what I wanted to do, except I had a love of the outdoors. And I did a lot of hiking in, uh, in, in, uh, in high school. And I didn't, I did a lot of hiking alone because nobody ever wanted to go with me because they just didn't want to go hiking. So I had this idea that I wanted to be a forest ranger and I was going to go to the university of Washington to become a forest ranger. And uh, until I found out I just needs all these science requirements and there was just no way in the world. So a couple of my friends went to theater school in, in San Diego and they said, hey, you know, why don't you come on down? And uh, it's, it's a good school. And uh, I auditioned for it. I got in. And then it went from there. Then I, then I really got serious about it. And uh, 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 that became my career. Because I, I just found that I was just something really good at. And I found it to be fun. And I got real serious about it. And I worked my ass off. <laughs> so it's like, it's, it uh, because I had to be good the the better the best you know i had and i had to beat out everybody and i had to you know it's just because it's so competitive and uh, it's uh uh i took it i took it very seriously which is something you have to do and it became this thing that it's not just what you want it's something you need and that's that's when that passion takes over and that's what keeps you going through all the bad times um you know, those parts where you want to get so badly and you don't for some, whatever reason, but mm. you keep going, you keep going just because you have to, you have no other choice. It's, it's uh, um, you know, that, that's, that's what, that, that's what keeps you going. And, you know, it's, you know, do something that you're passionate about that you hear that cliche all, all the time, but uh, it's that passion that keeps you going through all the uh, the crap and uh, it did me, and uh, and I made a good living for it, twenty five years. So, so what? I mean, what was the need? Was it the need to express yeah, yourself somehow? Or that's a really good question. I don't know what that need. I don't know how to 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 tell you what that need was, but that that there was certainly that need. There was that need to to. <clears throat> Yeah, I guess if you're going to say express myself, that's probably that's probably it. I and mean, uh, now that now that you 
put those words into my mouth, I guess that's it. <laughs> I guess I, well, you can you can have another answer. <laughs> well, no, I don't think there's a better answer. I wish there was, but yeah, I mean, it, uh, I had I had I had to express myself in that it, through those characters. I was always an actor. <clears throat> I was never a performer. There's a whole big different thing, you know. This, yeah. It's uh, it's you know, performer is that somebody who is a um, you know an MC at uh, at, a, at a show, and uh, he's just he's just got that that performing ability. That and I, I I was never that. I'm I'm much better and much more at ease when it's somebody else's words that I can memorize and get up there and interpret. Um, although I've had to perform in uh in many things i'm much better as an actor and i'm much more relaxed as an actor um uh, and i think most actors are i mean most actors are fairly shy anyway it's a, a way to express themselves is, is through a uh, through the stage and through a character and through their words and by becoming them you don't want to be you you know performers are yourself and uh and there's not a there's not a lot I think I can share with people out there as a performer because I'm just like you. I'm not I, you know performers seem to be a little bit heightened, and they seem to be somebody I can just you know I admire and I can watch and love. But I'm just not that person. I'm like I'm I'm that person who can can in, interpret a character, become that character and, and hopefully do it better than, you know, you can. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, but, but uh, I mean, you must've met a lot of performers. You must've had a sense. Of, yeah. You know, could, what they're could, like. And I, yeah. I don't, and for, I could, you know, I could probably do what they can do if I really, really worked at it. I was just never that comfortable doing that kind of stuff. And uh, uh, again, like I said, I would rather, I would rather take a script and interpret that script and, 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 and work off of the actor that I'm working with rather than be out there and at that one man show and then <clears throat> speak to you. It's not that, you know, I, I, I admire these people enormously, but I, I can't do it as well as they can. I think they're just born to do that. And I just, although for the last 20 years, this running this, this, <clears throat> which I think we'll get into for a little bit, running this uh, group that I run, it requires me to be a performer. And so hmm. I've learned how to do it just by becoming a character. And huh. uh, uh, I, I'm the, the person who is up there, running this group isn't really me <laughs> it's it's uh it's this character i developed over the years it sounds really? like me it looks like me it uh i you know i've created shtick that works and uh um um but it's not it's not michael horton at all it's 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 a kind of a heightened version of michael horton and uh um i'm, I'm pretty good at it but it, it's taken me a while to develop that character Again, so you're all, talking about you're talking about a group of uh, yeah I run this production people yeah, <laughs> right tell me I, about it I run this organization for uh, people in the post production business film editors and uh, <clears throat> and it's it's all about uh, <clears throat> showing them the latest software it's all about uh, showing the latest techniques of uh, film editing storytelling a lot of storytelling that's what this whole thing is about. And uh, I introduce the uh, the people who uh, come up stage, all these uh, extraordinary people and very creative people. And uh, uh, I run the meeting. I run the show. I, I keep it moving, keep it moving. And uh, um, that's uh, <clears throat> my job as the MC. Also keep everybody entertained, keep them in their seats, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, so it requires me to be this this person who is 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 uh, good at it, <laughs> and over the years I've developed uh, a character that is a good MC of these 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 shows, and uh, but once once that show is over, it's back to being Michael Horton, 
And uh, mm-hmm. when I, we go out to pizza, I'm a completely different person. So that's so interesting. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, it's it it is. It's uh, but that's because I'm not a I'm not a natural performer. I have to work at it. And maybe that's how performers feel about what they do. They that they probably inhabit yeah. a character. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'd like to sit down with them and uh, probably you know, again they hone their craft for a number of years in order to get to that that point, and I had to do the same thing. And uh, but you would think it's just some people it just comes natural to them. You know, they're the they're the life of the party. The people who who walk in. And the party sort of like this, but as soon as they walk in, everything changes. You know, it's it's uh, it's, uh, it's just it, you gravitate to these people, and they just have this natural ability to to suck you in. And uh, uh, I, I just think it's God given rather than uh, uh, at least. But again, they have to work at it. Everybody has to work at it. You have, you have don't you can't just. Well, that's a really good insight. Yeah, it's a, but it'd be, be a good, it'd be a good thing. You talk to a performer, and see if see what what it is makes them tick. But I mean, even even I in my day to day job, you know, I'm putting on a show in some respects. You know. Well, I think we're all, yeah, we're, yeah. If you want to really get down to it, we're we're putting on a show anytime. We're I'm putting on a show talking to you. You're putting on a show right. talking to me. This right. isn't the real you. This isn't the real me. You know, is, is, is anybody finding this interesting? It's, it's you know, yes. that's the next thing. I am. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. Like every time I open my mouth, what's the next word to come out that keep people from. <laughs> it's, oh. it's, oh. Yeah, it's, it's you mean uh, you mean here or everywhere? Yeah, yeah, here, it's here. Yeah, yeah. What am I going to say in order to keep people from uh, you know hitting the thing, going to another show? But any inter- any interaction we have with another human being is is really not who we are. It is uh, <clears throat> we are we are behaving a little bit differently. You know, you're asking me questions, and I'm answering. I'm asking you questions, or answering. It's just it's just it's not. It's, 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 it's weird. So we have to work at it. We also have to make each other feel comfortable. That's another thing. You have to make yourself feel comfortable. You have to make me feel comfortable. I have to make you feel comfortable. And uh, th- that requires us to put in more, more effort than we really want to. <laughs> and uh, so, but the more you do this, the better you'll get. Even the more I do these kind of things where people are asking me questions, the better I will get. But I don't do very many of them. Um, so it's uh, uh, so it's weird. But do you feel like when you're acting as a character, some, a character somebody else created and wrote, does that feel more relaxing, more natural somehow? Or is that requiring another type of focus? Yeah, I mean, it does. Well, it obviously, requires a, a little bit of focus, but uh, everything requires that, that focus. But as an actor, where you have uh, uh, somebody else's lines to say and, and your interpretation of who that particular person is, once you find who he is, and sometimes that takes a long, long time. In case of uh, if you're given that long, long time, like you are in the theater. Um, but if you're not given in a long, long time for like a television show, for instance, where you're handed pages just before you go on sometimes because they've changed everything. Right. You just got to make it work. And uh, and so you're trying to make it work based on what you know about this guy that you're playing. And uh, uh, and that's it. <laughs> you have no other. No other technique than to to. You've already, you know who this guy is. You know his backstory. You've given him a backstory. Now somebody gives you the lines and it doesn't matter what the lines are anymore. You have a pretty good idea how to say them. And then of course, how that person that you're performing with, how he says something is how you're going to say it back. So you got a good actor you're playing with. He's going to make you even better. And uh, I mean, acting's listening. 
And so you just, you listen to the person that you're, you're, you're talking to, and that'll give you an enormous amount of, uh, of insight to who that person is. But with television, it's so fast. You can't really overthink it. You just got to know who this person is based on the script that you were given. And even if they do change some of the lines, you still know how to, how to play this guy. And that's what they hired you for. They don't want you to overthink it. You don't have time to overthink it. You know, they, they, you'll see a lot of people who get hired over and over and over. And it's because they can bring it. They can, they can do the job. And they're not going to, you know, in television, it's all about getting the day done. <laughs> it's, it's uh, you know, you, you tr- you, everybody's working their asses off trying to do the best they possibly can. But in the end, it's you, you got to get the day done so you can go on to the next day and you got you only got a certain amount of days to do this whole thing you only got a certain amount of budget to do this and you you better all be on the top of your game if somebody isn't it brings the whole thing down so the people who work a lot are are a lot of they're just they're people who are good at what they do but they can bring it and they can bring it without uh, problems or issues or drama and uh, they, they'll get hired a lot and the ones who can't bring it, then they don't get hired a lot, despite the fact that they might be the most brilliant actors in the world. And uh, it just can't happen for them in this this speedy television thing. They can be brilliant in the theater because they have this thing called rehearsal, which is awesome. It's just, <laughs> it's, I tell you, it's great, this thing called rehearsal. I mean, television actors or film actors don't like to rehearse a lot because it's 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 very spontaneous and the camera really likes that. But in the theater, if you for that, when you're looking for that character and you're looking for that arc, oh man, rehearsals are just. Ask any actor who does a lot of theater. Said, to hell with the performance. It's like, it's the rehearsals are their most fun. It's the it's mm. the it's just finding the finding the character, finding the arc, finding the story, and uh, even though it's all there. Each day is different, and each day is a little bit of uh, growth and, and or or you know complete collapse. But it's just so much fun, and uh, um, that's what I loved, especially about acting, was the rehearsal. But you don't get that in film and television. Can you think of any characters that you felt like were more you or more your own story? where there was more of a symbiosis between you and the character? I mean, every, every character that you, you, you play it is, 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 is a lot of you, the, you, you bring to that, uh, that person. And, um, <clears throat> I mean, you can't, you can't lose yourself entirely in a character that there's none of you in. I mean, that's kind of like schizophrenia, not rather than acting. <laughs> And, uh, um, but yeah, there's been a few, few times where, where I've lost myself in the, uh, the person, but not lost yourself to the point that the, you, you're not aware of your surroundings. You're not aware of the person that you're talking to. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's times where there's like 80% me in that character. I can just see me in that character. And uh, there was a show I did years ago, back in the 80s. And it was uh, based on D.H. Lawrence's The Fox. And it was a big hit here in Los Angeles. And uh, the, uh, <clears throat> the role I did was this, uh, uh, this soldier. And he was a young soldier and somewhat uh, arrogant but I saw a lot of myself in this guy. He, he was me. And he was also, there was nobody in the, on, in the planet that could play this guy better than I, because I understood who he was. I don't know why I understood who he was, but immediately as, as I read the script, I saw how to play it. So what, what does that mean? I don't know. I mean, there's, there's a few times that that happens when you read something. I go, you just know who this guy is. You know how to play it. And there's something inside of you that you saw on the, the, that, that printed page. And, and in the end, nobody, nobody could have played that better than you because 
they couldn't have possibly seen what you've seen. <laughs> and uh, mm. no, no, no director could bring that out. You know, it's the actor is just right for that, po- that part. And, uh, and that's happened a few times. And uh, in that particular case, it really happened. First time I read the script, I knew exactly who this guy was. I knew exactly how to play it. And even though the director will give you little nuances here and there, which is always helpful, it's just, you know, he didn't give me anything more than I already knew what I was going to do with it. And then plus each time on stage, you know, each, each performance got a little bit different. I found a little bit better. I found a little bit more. I found a little bit, uh, you know, uh, uh, who he was. And uh, um, by the end of the run, oh, my God, I really missed him when, uh, when it was all done. And, uh, mm-hmm. But I still had nobody could play this thing. <laughs> it's better than me. Every actor's got that story. Nobody could play that. And it's just, and there's no reason why. It's just, just, you just know who he was based on maybe that your past events or your past, your past stories, who knows? Um, but uh, there are just certain characters that you just know who they are. And. Uh, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Um, you know, you're talking about television and how, you know, expedient it is, how, how quick it is. Um, and it, it tends to produce that kind of rush. It seems like it tends to produce a certain kind of story, right? Yeah. Or it well, tends it, to invite it, a certain type of storytelling. Well, maybe way me back in the day, but today, some of the best storytelling is in television. <clears throat> and uh, there's just so much good out there. I mean, it's just so much good. And uh, I, I could honestly sit in front of, of all these streaming channels and sit for 24 hours a day and uh, do it for a year. And I would find some of the most brilliant writing uh, ever. I mean, you have playwrights writing for uh, sitcoms and doing extraordinary things. And uh, you didn't have that back in uh, like the 80s and 90s when I was doing that. I mean, I did some really good shows, but uh, it, it, it it's nothing like it was today. <clears throat> Streaming services have brought storytelling to a whole different different level. But do you think <clears throat> that you know that that sort of past style of, te- of television, that sort of classic style of television, was creating or encouraging a certain type of story in the culture or in? you know, the public at large, that it was sort of in some ways shaping the culture in the way that they see these stories being told. Yeah, you mean like cop shows? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, well, back in the 60s, it was all uh, Westerns, and then it became all cop shows. <clears throat> and uh, But there's still, there's still cop shows today, just better cop shows, better written cop shows. And, uh, um, but do the... It, yeah, I mean, it's uh, uh, television and film have always shaped the culture from the clothes that we wear to the, to what we, how we talk, to what we say, <clears throat> how we look. It's always shaped the culture and it always will. And uh, uh, we don't want to necessarily be who we are. We want to be who we uh, admire and like and uh, We'd rather be them. We don't want to live our humdrum, boring lives. You know, we'd rather live their lives. And so, yeah, anything that's happening on, <clears throat> on television is uh, is is always shaping the culture. And uh, we just don't know it, especially as an actor. You don't know it until after it's over. That you might have you might have had something to do with it. And you're going, <laughs> <laughs> what did I do? I mean, one of the things one of the things I did, you know, back in when I was an actor, I did a lot of commercials, a lot of these national commercials, and I did, you know, I, you know, I did them for. You know, talk about pop culture. I did, you know, Mrs. Olson uh, coffee, uh, the Ever Ready Bunny, and uh, these Coca Cola commercials. I did all these pop culture commercials that sort of shaped the culture, and I wish I would have. have um, You've been able to have a copy of it, but uh, <coughs> and, uh, uh, I mean, you talk about shaping the culture. Those things did. 
uh, commercials. Uh-huh. That's a whole different kind of acting, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it, it was a great way to make a living. It was a good way to make a lot of money when you were in between jobs. It also afforded you the opportunity to do a lot of theater because theater didn't pay hardly anything. So you can go out and do a couple of commercials, get paid residuals for six months and pay the rent and do it that way. And, uh, and again, you're forcing people to buy this crap that you, 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 you wouldn't have bought yourself, but uh, <laughs> you brought it up shaping the culture. <laughs> right. Now, what do you think? I mean, do you have a sense of how the view of storytelling in the mainstream culture has changed? Do you see any evolution in one direction or another in terms of appreciation of stories or recognition of stories? Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, what you're seeing right now in, uh, on television and film are some of the, the best writing that uh, has ever been. I mean, there's just there's nothing like it. I mean, we talk about the golden age of television back in the 50s and 60s, when there was some really, you know, the Playhouse 90, some of the great playwrights and stuff like that. That was some good stuff out there. But today, we have so much good stuff, you can't find it all. You know, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's you know, <laughs> again, this is, this is art, and there's somebody out there say, oh, bullshit, Horton, this, there's a lot of crap out there. Yeah, there's a lot of crap out there, but a lot of it is so good. And it's such uh, it's it's such good writing, and uh, I wish I would have uh, have stayed in, in acting just to be a part of this this uh, this golden age of uh, of, of storytelling uh, because they're amazing people and these amazingly talented people who are, are keeping it going and keeping you know, finding finding different ways to uh, to uh, tell a story. I mean, you still have a beginning and a middle and an end. You know, it's a still the same structure out there, but uh, it's uh, it's uh, the stories that they're telling that don't necessarily seem to be repeats of what was told before. It's incredible, even though they're mm. even though they tend to do the same with the big blockbusters of the Marvel movies and the, and the special effects movies tend to same, tell the same story. It is the same story, but they do it in such a way that uh, you just don't care and you just, you're just you entertained and you're taken away for a few minutes. But all these other non-blockbuster uh, TV shows that are out there, they're, they're certainly worth finding and, uh, um, <clears throat> and watching. And uh, yeah, I think it's a whole different thing today than it was 40 years ago. And I think it's better. And, uh, you know, they, 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 say, they, they say it's not brain surgery, but it is brain surgery. It's uh, what these people do, what these, these writers do is they, they take your brain away for about a, a, an hour and turn it into something else. And, uh, and that's, that's an okay thing. That's why we like entertainment. We want to be, you know, we want to go someplace else. And we want to learn something. And we want to see something that we've never seen. And, uh, you know, show me that and uh, teach me something sure. without, without teaching me something. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, uh, you just, you know, just thinking about your group, you know, your post-production group. I mean, you know, you talk about ownership of a story. I mean, a, a story in a, in, you know, a big budget film, you've got so many people involved who play crucial roles. And they all kind of own a piece of the story, you know, even though they're not necessarily seen as storytellers, you know, but you, all those people that you work oh, with. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they're storytellers, right? Yeah. I mean, the, where the film is actually made is, is not necessarily out there in the field. It's, it's made in post-production. It's made by the film editors, the colorists. And uh, uh, you ask any director that, uh, uh, his favorite part of movie making <clears throat> would be in the edit bay. That's where you make your movie. 
And uh, because out there is, it's really, really hard. It's easier general of all these people and all these people are asking you questions and you're trying to get your day done and you're, you've got this wonderful script, but you're, you're shooting these scenes that may not even be in the movie, but you, you for you're during that moment. Yeah. This is the best damn scene, the best performances, the best everything. And then you get back in the edit bay and you go, Oh crap, this isn't going to work. And you got to take it out. And uh, it's, it's in, why does that happen? And it just, it just does happen, but it's, it's also the most, that's, that's, that's where you, like, you know, they say editing is cutting out the bad bits. That's, uh, you know, and, but when you were doing it, when you're out there as that general moving these people around and, and doing the script, these are all the good bits. So you bring all those good bits back and uh, then you start going, this works, this doesn't work. Oh, maybe I can take this scene, put it in, put it in this position or take or cut this scene out and move this around. And, and, and for some reason that becomes movie making. And uh, that's when, uh, that's when the directors and the, and the people around are, are at their most creative. And uh, that's, that's, I think they, they love it the most because that's when you really can make the movie. And uh, that's why they're always like these three, four hour first cuts. <laughs> and then, and then, and then, and then the studio comes in and says, you got to cut two and a half hours out of this. And you shot 120 pages. It was 120 pages. It should have been, you know, that's like a you know, two hour movie. But no, for some reason, that's going to be a four hour cut. And you got to cut all that crap out. And, uh, but that's when you, you make your movie. It's all in there. But making a movie isn't just, you know, the actors and, and, and the director. It's that director photography can bring so much to it. It's the costumers, it's the, uh, um, you know, uh, production designer, the, uh, uh, everybody, everybody, all these people. It's just, they're all storytellers in their own right. It's like you said. And uh, they're bringing their craft to this big craft. And then you bring all that into that edit bay and hone it. And then you come up with your great movie. And uh, hopefully you come up with your great movie. But that's where the movie is made. It's, by, it's made by those, uh, those people in the edit bay. So, and what, I mean, what have you learned about, you know, the craft or about people in bringing all these people together to you know, talk about their profession, to learn about their profession. Yeah, everybody, <clears throat> you know, when you deal with post-production, you're dealing with a lot of technical things, although even the, the an editor, even though he's dealing with a computer and he's moving things around with a computer, he's, he's still, still telling that story. He still needs to pick the best performances, even though he's talked it over with his uh, director. Sometimes the director's not there. He's, he's out there filming. So the, he's got to pick the best performances and put those performances together. And um, uh, so that's where he's getting really creative. And then hopefully the director comes back and says, yeah, I like that, but I don't like that particular cut. I want you to stay on this person a little bit longer and then cut to this person or maybe do this, this shot here and all this other stuff. But the editor is often in that room by himself until the actual movie is done. And then uh, when the movie is done, uh, then you have that first assembly or that first cut. And that's when you have it's really, really long. But the editor is bringing his craft, his storytelling ability, how he thinks the director wants it and how he thinks it's probably best. And uh, so he, he does the way he feels it should be done and hopefully the director will like it and, or at least like part of it. And, but uh, and then that's when they get their heads together and they become partners and they come up with this. Let's take out this, let's move out this. Maybe we need to go out and get an extra shot because we're missing this particular beat. And uh, so uh, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's a wonderful craft but they all have that same kind of, of ability to, to solve these problems. The best, best editors will solve the problems and, uh, and they'll solve it a lot of times before the director will come in. And then when the director comes in, you know, they just gets an extra set of eyes to, uh, uh, 
to add to to the, the creation of this masterpiece that you're making. But I mean, you're you're taking people who are used to working in isolation, really. Yeah. Almost like writers, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, they're all used to working isolation, and they're coming together <laughs> to to share something. Yeah, I mean, a writer, uh, as heard over and over again, a writer doesn't write; he rewrites, and that's that's <laughs> uh, when uh, uh, when your movie is done and it's brought into the edit bay, it's being rewritten. It's the final. It is the final edit of your of right. your movie the re, it's the final rewrite and uh unfortunately a lot of, of of movies especially the big ones are uh it's it's not only the director and the editor it's the director the editor the producers the movie studios and lots and lots of people and everybody's got their own ideas and uh and so every day you're getting notes from them and uh so you just have to make all that stuff work. And then you got to, after it's somewhat done, you got to go preview it in front of audiences and then they'll have their notes. And, uh, but independent movies, the smaller movies, smaller budgeted movies, and a lot of these streaming uh, shows, these television shows um, don't have that luxury to preview in front of uh, people. So, and they also don't, don't have as many people getting you uh, a lot of crap you still have the studios you still have producers and things like that but you won't have as many people uh that you do as you do in the big budget movies so i'm i admire the hell out of these extraordinary directors who can do these big budget movies and 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 actually accomplish something good with all the people's inputs <laughs> it's like everybody's got it no sense how do you do that I mean, it's just like, and you got, you know, five, 10 writers and uh, you got five, 10 producers, and you got studio people, and you've got to listen to every one of them. And, uh, and we all got egos. <laughs> so it's just, I don't know how they do it, but uh, somehow they do it. I mean, that's also sometimes the reason you have bad movies is, mm. is because of all that input. You know, that's why, you know, somebody, a a director who can get final cut, final say is uh, at least it's on him. It's a bad movie. It's on him. And that's okay. Um, But uh, uh, it, 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 it it rarely is a bad movie if it's all on him. uh, I mean, look at the movies in the seventies when it was all uh, the directors, it was, they, they had final cut and everything. That's some of the best movies ever made. Right. Why? <laughs> and the studios just go ahead, do what you want. And now it's, it's everything is so fine tuned that uh, um, at least in the big budget area, that uh, there's a lot of sameness in those, in those big budget movies. They're all pretty much the same. <laughs> and it's the same story. Even though a story is is you know it's, you know boy meets girl girl loses boy or boy loses girl and boy they find each other there's that that's the same story but you can find a fresh approach to it and it's often a great fresh approach to it and that's what's happening a lot today uh, with, especially with some of these these TV shows on on the streaming channels or on the cable channels I keep forgetting cable channels because I'm not watching them so much. But you had great, great TV on those cable channels. Uh, you know, the Breaking Bad would be a good example. Uh, it was uh, AMC. And it was just great storytelling, great writing, great acting, everything. Just it all come together. Why? How? <laughs> just, you and just it attracted watch. it attracted big audiences. Yeah, and it, yeah, of course, anything anything good that uh, uh, well, not anything good. There's so much good out there that didn't attract a big audience, but I guess you need that, that little bit of luck, but anything good usually is word of mouth. And then people start talking about it. And then the more people start talking about it, then it starts to grow and grow and grow. And uh, another perfect example would be uh, that sitcom Shit's Creek, but it didn't go anywhere. It didn't do anything for like four or five years. 
and then went on to Netflix, people started talking about it. And then more people started talking about it. And that just blew up. It just became this massive uh, hit just because everybody loved it. Ted Lasso is the same thing. Uh, it, it's uh, you know, even though Apple TV is uh, is a, is a big streaming channel, not that many people had it. It just came out. It was its first year. Apple TV. It's not that many people had had it, but people started talking about this show. Why? This was well written, well acted, you know, and and sweet, and it just touched a nerve on, on everybody that uh, that nobody else was doing. Everything else was so cynical and. and violent and and, uh, and uh, people were looking for something a little bit sweeter and that's what this you know filled that void and that's how these things go what stories work what stories worked you know they, they, we'd always go we go through these these phases these violent phases these, these rom-com phases these sweet phases and, and it was it's uh, then these these Marvel faces, this Marvel thing can't last forever, but it's going on for a long time. So people still like those kind of movies. So, I mean, ultimately, what what made you either sort of transition or just quit acting? What 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 made you leave? Um, well, I wasn't, you know, I, I was always a working actor. I was making, you know, good money, but, you know, I was, I was like guesting on TV shows and, and, and things like that. And I was never going to be a star. At least I didn't think I was going to be a star. And I didn't, I just saw myself auditioning in my sixties in front of, you know, some 20 year old. And <laughs> I just, I couldn't do that. And also there's a, as an actor, you don't have any power at all, unless you're a, a movie star. You, you know, director tells you to go here and go there and uh, um, uh, and you'll go there unless you have a really good reason not to go there. And you can ask, well, how about if I do this and do that? And and uh, they don't even want to hear it because you just got to you just got to move on. And you usually don't say it because it's just not worth it. And uh, um, so and also you know, there I can't tell you how many times. Where I did a particular take and when you if, if people are not familiar with the with cinema and how it works you know there'd be, there'd be usually a camera on you over the shoulder of the person that you're talking to right and so you give this absolutely brilliant performance and you may do it two or three times well take two would have been the best performance but what do they use they'll use take three for some reason <laughs> it's like how many times would my best takes were on the cutting room floor and they use some something else. To, you know, that's where film editors come in. That's why I hated film editors. <laughs> but you had no power. You had no power. You had to. You, you could do all this brilliant work, and and they wouldn't show it. Sometimes, sometimes they did. You know, sometimes they could. They could. Uh, you know, because as as a, as a film editor, you have to pick the best performances. And. and for some reason, I was getting on these shows where those film editors weren't picking the best performances. And uh, I, it happened too many times. And I got so frustrated later on. I just said, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to direct. And so I made a conscious effort. I quit. I just, I'm not doing this anymore. And so I made a completely focused on directing. And at that time that I did, this uh, software, this editing software came out called Final Cut Pro. And allowed you to take your DV camera, mini DV camera, plug it into your computer and edit your movies. So that democratized the whole thing because prior to that, you had to use a $100,000 Avid system and uh, you would have to rent it. And it was extremely expensive. So if you want to make your movies, you'd have to go out and buy film, which is really expensive. And uh, you'd have to have process the film and you have to use an Avid system. Forget it. There's no chance in hell that you could make a movie. Unless you, uh, you know, had a very rich parents or something like that. But this changed everything, everything. You know, all of a sudden, all these people who just had these wonderful scripts and had all these great ideas were able to do it. They weren't able to do it like the big boys. It didn't look like the big boys, but they're still, if you've got a good story, people will forgive you that it doesn't look so great. They won't forgive you if it sounds crappy, but they'll forgive you if it, if it doesn't look so great. Um, but, it, and, and some people actually did 
make a few bucks, you know, with these, these mini DV movies. And then things got better and better and better when digital cameras came out and still it was fairly cheap and editing software was really cheap. And it just, uh, it brought so many people into the, uh, the storytelling, uh, uh, realm and a lot of those people are doing television today and uh, they started out 20 years ago and they were honed their skills on these little mini dv cameras just like some people did on the uh, eight millimeter cameras but uh, not as many people picked up an eight millimeter camera as they did a mini dv camera and uh, uh, so all these storytellers who are just dying to do something like this as soon as final cut pro came out as soon as the laptop computers came out and uh, uh, and they, they took that script that was sitting in that drawer for a while and made their little movies and then kept doing it and kept doing it until now they're making a living doing it. And uh, everything changed. So I did it for a while and uh, wasn't really getting anywhere. And I was taking a big financial hit at home, but I wanted to surround myself with all these, these editors and these people in post-production that knew more than I did. So I started this, this group called the Los Angeles Final Cut Pro user group. And um, you know, I had all these amazing people, uh, 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 one-man band filmmakers, uh, and also great film, great film editors like you know, Walter Murch and, uh, and, uh, and people like him. Um, I surrounded myself with people like that, and they would come in and talk about their craft, and people would come in and talk about their day that uh, they did, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, trying to, trying to make their movies, everybody helped each other. And since it was, it was live and in person and all these people, everybody met each other and everybody sort of corroborated and, and, uh, and helped each other and uh, uh, made movies together that they probably never would have because they didn't meet, uh, know these people. And the internet certainly helped, but face-to-face helps much, much more. And that's what my thing became about. And then it just blew up and became thousands of people, members. And I, we would do shows uh, all over the world and, uh, and monthly in Los Angeles. And, uh, and my wife says, you need to make money off of this thing because we're, we're going to lose our house. So I figured out a way to make money off of it. And I've been doing it for the last 20 years, although now COVID's uh, kind of uh, you know, put it in the back burner. And I've actually enjoyed this uh, year and a half off so far, but I have every intention of going back once we can go back. I just love hanging out with creative people. But do I, I, I really do miss that I didn't get to direct. But I have all these excuses, you know, I had a mortgage, I had two kids, you know, all that kind of stuff. So the usual golden handcuff kind of things, I needed to pay my rent and all that. <clears throat> But, uh, but you, but think how many uh, you know you're you're influencing so many other people in what they're doing. I think I, I think so. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many people have found work just by coming to these kinds of things, and that feels really good. And That's great. Uh, um, and so, even though I can't call myself a film editor, um, I, I I bring the people. I facilitate the education of all this. And uh, I was just thinking of that word. Yeah. Yeah. And somebody had to give me that word. I said, when somebody asked me what I did for a living, I said, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's just, I, I do these, these shows, these shows for film editors. Just, and then somebody said, why don't you facilitate the education for these uh, post-production people? Ah, that's what I do. Yeah, that's it. So, uh, uh, and it's, uh, it's been, it's very gratifying. It's been, uh, so I'm more of an educator than I am or facilitator an educator. I bring all these incredible people to uh, show their stuff. And, uh, and that also gives everybody the opportunity who's you know sitting next to somebody that they don't know to turn to them and say, hi, my name is, and that person might change their life. And that, that, that requires, you know, especially with creative people, that requires a lot of courage because most creative <laughs> people are, no, it does. It, uh, most creative people are, you know, socially awkward. And, uh, as you know, something you would have to practice a lot is to, uh, is to have that courage to go up to somebody and say, hi, my name is, don't be pushy about it or anything like that. But these people that you meet, those are the people that are going to change your life because yeah, the entertainment industry, just like any industry, it doesn't matter what it is, is all about who, you know, 
but you got to get out there and get to know them. You can't just sit behind your computer and expect it to, uh, to happen. Even though you can meet on the computer, it's best to meet face-to-face. So you got to get out of the house. But this COVID thing is really kind of, you know, putting a damper on everything. That's really too bad because there's more work out there right now than there's ever been. It's, mm. uh, there's so many projects going on. There's so many uh, TV and uh, film going on. And they're all looking for editors, you know, good ones, or at least uh, assistant editors. That uh, <clears throat> I would say if you're, you're at all interested in doing something like that, now's the time. And there's a lot of free educational resources online. And uh, it's a great time to learn. But then once this whole thing ends, get out of the house and start getting out there and meeting people. And uh, uh, you got you got a leg up right now, but don't uh, if you're not doing anything right now, then get online and start learning. Well, I hope you're able to get back to that soon because it's it's such a great service. Yeah, well, it will. I mean, one of these days. <laughs> I was hoping it would be this month, and this Delta thing happened. I don't know. It's, it's right. So, uh, but you know, we'll we'll beat it sooner or later. I feel optimistic. Thank you so much for your time, Michael. I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, thank you. I, I hope I give some sage advice there somewhere, but it was this has been fun because you uh, you uh, gave me a few memories to uh, think about, and that, uh, so I, I enjoy that. Cool. Well, thank you again, Michael. Appreciate All right. it. Thank you, Dave, and it's good seeing you after 40 years. <laughs> you too. Take care. <laughs> okay. Story Talks Back is produced and hosted by Dave Stanton. The music you're hearing now was written and performed by Christopher Daydream. The theme music at the beginning of our show is an excerpt from Play by Merlin Twelfthoven, performed by Kronos Quartet as part of their 50 for the Future series. Please subscribe to the Story Talks Back on Podbean and check us out on Instagram. See you next time.